He was in prison for 21 years. Jeff Titus was charged with murder. He claimed his innocence all these years. Well, he was released earlier this year. Conviction overturned. Who led the charge? A true crime TV show and podcast. In 1990, two deer hunters were murdered near Titus's farm. While he was cleared of wrongdoing in the initial investigation, detectives in 2001 believed they found sufficient evidence to charge him. He was due to serve life in prison, no possibility of parole. But two separate investigators got hold of Jeff's case. They found flaws in the trial, key pieces of evidence withheld from Titus's legal team, Witnesses who changed their story multiple times, evidence not adding up. The TV show and podcasts coming out of these investigations provided traction, and Titus's attorneys requested the conviction be overturned. This world is filled with injustices, but we can look forward to the day when injustice will be no more. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris, sharing the great story that's all about Jesus, and we're in a series called Darkness to Light. Sometimes there are dark things in life that make lights appear all the more brilliant. I'm thinking about how last week so many in North America saw the Aurora Borealis, or as many of us call them, the Northern Lights. People as far south as Arizona and North Carolina saw this dazzling light show in the night sky that you normally only see in Canada or Alaska. What a marvelous display of light bursting out of the darkness. And that's what we've been talking about this week. The moments that led to the darkest night in the history of the world, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we reflect on these moments not as those without hope. We know that these are dark moments in the life of Jesus, but the resurrection is not too far away. The light of the resurrection will burst from the darkness, giving us eternal hope and also hope for our day-to-day life. Pastor and author Marty Mikowski has been with us this week, helping us think about darkness to light in the story of Jesus. And I want to remind you of something he said on Monday that's so important to remember. The gospel has the power to transform anyone, leading us from darkness into light. You know, what Paul says is uh, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of not some, but of everyone Mm. who believes. Mm. And so the story of Jesus, God empowers that story by his spirit to be the key that transforms our heart, unlocks our understanding, and causes us to just swell up with joy over the reality that The God of the universe became a man and died to take my place, to take my sin on the cross, and then rose again on the third day, victoriously proving death has no longer a hold on him, nor all those who believe in him. That's Marty Mikowski. He'll join us again in a moment to talk about the arrest of Jesus Christ in the garden the night before his death. Truly a dark moment, but a moment that will lead us to the brightest day. After the program, I want to send you the book that Marty wrote to help you and your loved ones enjoy Easter more this year. It's called Darkest Night, Brightest Day, 
a family devotional for Easter. This upside-down book is filled with illustrations and helpful gospel thoughts that will lead you from Palm Sunday to the cross. But then flip it over, upside down, and discover the brightest day, from the resurrection to Pentecost, and you will be filled with the light of the gospel. Start a new tradition with the kids in your life. And if you don't have children, you'll enjoy it just the same. But if you'd like to send it to a family or a friend, we can do that with a note from you and send it directly to them so that they can enjoy it this Easter season. And so they get it in time. You need to get in touch with us. Easter is going to be here soon. So call us or go online right after the program. Make a generous gift, and we'll send the Darkest Night, Brightest Day Easter devotional. You can go to our website, take a look at the sample pages from the book, and make your gift at haventoday.org, haventoday.org. Or you can call us after the program at 800-65-HAVEN, 800-65-HAVEN. And now let's open the program with a song on the cross, a song by the Newsboys. The cross has the final word. The cross has the final word. Sorrow may come in the darkest night, but the cross has the final word. There's nothing stronger, nothing higher, there's nothing greater than the name of Jesus. All the honor, all the power, all the glory to the name of Jesus. Final word The cross 
great title with the newsboys on a haven today called Darkness to Light. The title is The Cross Has the Final Word. I'm Charles Morris, and thank you so much for joining me again on the program. And coming back with us again is the author of The Darkest Night, The Brightest Day, Marty Mikowski. Marty, every time I lead a trip into Israel, and we go to Jerusalem, we go to the Mount of Olives, we see the significant church that has been built on the side of the mountain, and then you're looking down across the Kidron, and you see Jerusalem on the other side, the old city, the temple, what's left of the Temple Mount. But we always go into the garden. We don't know exactly where the Garden of Gethsemane is today, but we go into what would have been part of the garden. We pay the guy that owns it a little money. We go in and we just pray. Um, talk to me. Let's talk a little bit about the significance of, of the prayer that took place on the part of our Lord and even asking the disciples to pray before they came and arrested him, which would start the way to the cross. Jesus suffered through those prayers. Uh, The book of Hebrews tells us that he was tempted like us in every way, yet he did not sin. And, And you see, Jesus comes right up to the edge when he says, take this cup from me, but not my will, thy will be done. And, and, and you just, you get the, the sense of tension that, that he's aware of the great cost in that moment of the cross. He's, he's sweating drops of blood. He hasn't had the thorns put on his head, but he's beginning to carry the weight of that crown. And, and there, in anguish, he resolves that he's going to continue. He's, he's not calling down the angels from heaven. And, you know, we tend to think, oh, yeah, he did it. He was the son of God. He kind of made it through. Mm-hmm. Um, he did make it through, but it was not an easy moment. And when we go to heaven and we talk to the Lord about that time in the garden, I think that uh, my guess would be that he'll say, yeah, most difficult day of my life. Mm. This is Haven Today, and that was Marty Mikowski. He's written this devotional book, The Darkest Night, The Brightest Day. You know, the 21st century has been interesting in the world of law enforcement and crime solving. Technology has come a long ways. Not only are there cameras and microphones that can pick up conversations in busy cities, but there are several ways for crimes to be dissected in order to help find the culprit. And yet, as we heard a few moments ago, the wrong person can be suspected, arrested, even sent to prison. The true crime genre has exploded over the years, with movies, TV shows, books, and podcasts flooding the market. There's a sense of outrage at the thought of an innocent man or woman being charged with a crime they didn't commit. But Jesus was not arrested in the 21st century. He was arrested in the 1st century. There were no cameras catching his every move. A soldier didn't plant a bug on him. Men with evil motives conspired to arrest him and to charge him 
without evidence? Will there be outrage? Well, let's read and find out more about the arrest that led to the darkest night. You can read a telling of Jesus' arrest in all four Gospels, but we're going to look at Mark 14. Jesus and his disciples had just celebrated Passover, where the disciples were served a meal by their Lord. He gave them bread and wine in order to point to his forthcoming death. His body was broken and blood shed for their sins. And then after this meal, Jesus took his disciples to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's that garden, still there today, located just to the east of the city of Jerusalem, down through the Kidron Valley, up on the Mount of Olives, little more than a stone's throw away from the Temple Mount. Mark 14.33 tells us that Jesus began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He knew his time was soon to come. He would be betrayed at the hands of one of his own. Listen to Jesus pour himself out before his friends in verse 34. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. At the height of his distress, he knew what he had to do. He needed to pray to his heavenly father. And so he asked his disciples to do the same thing to join him. It had been a busy week. The disciples had spent a lot of time and energy with preparation for the Passover meal, and it was now very late, and they fell asleep. I know it can be a temptation for us to get high and mighty thinking about the disciples sleeping at such a low point in the life of Jesus, but we can sympathize with them, can't we? Do you remember a day where You were on the move from the moment you got up until you finally went to bed. What happened as you began to pray that night before falling asleep? It may have started as a lucid prayer, but maybe it soon turned into broken up words until you fell asleep peacefully without even saying amen. His disciples may have done something similar. Now, I'm not here to shame anyone when this happens. We're all human after all. But this time of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane was no ordinary night. And as the disciples were fighting to stay awake, Jesus was fighting for the strength to carry on. We read in verse 35 that Jesus fell to the ground and prayed to his father that the cup might be taken from him. What was that cup? It was the cup of God's wrath. Jesus would have to drink it down to the final drop in order to save his people from their sins. And he ends his prayer with those special words, not what I will, but what you will. Thy will be done. In one of his darkest hours, in fact, as Marty Mikowski said, the most difficult moment of his life, Jesus reminds us that we don't pray in order to change things. We pray that God may change us by conforming us to his will. Jesus prayed throughout the night, and he would return to his disciples every now and then. And what did he find? A group of young men sleeping. But after the third visit, Jesus said, enough is enough. He woke them up with ominous words. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. At that very moment, Judas, one of the disciples, showed up. He was not alone. He came with a crowd, and the crowd was armed. 
These individuals were sent by the religious leaders of the Jews. Can you imagine the confusion among the disciples? What is Judas doing with this crowd? Why did he just kiss Jesus? Wait, what is the crowd doing? Jesus had told the group that the one whom he would kiss would be the man they were looking for. What would you do if you were one of the disciples? Your beloved teacher and friend is being arrested without probable cause by a mob in the middle of the night. One of the disciples got up and responded with violence. We know it was Peter. Verse 47 says, One of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest. And we know from John's telling of the arrest, it was Peter who drew his sword. But Jesus told him to put his sword away. Jesus was not leading a military revolution. He didn't come to this world to kill. He came in order to save. And this arrest was the moment Jesus was alluding to throughout his years he had spent with the disciples. Jesus would be arrested and put to death. But the outrage only lasted for a moment. Though Peter tried to stop this arrest, just a few minutes later, Peter and the other disciples would run for their lives. An innocent man would be arrested. No evidence, no witnesses to him having committed a crime. No outrage. Is there a light in the tunnel after this heartbreaking arrest? Well, yes, there is. You see, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus prayed several times over the course of the night. Some theologians argue that one of those prayers is the high priestly prayer found in John 17. In this prayer, Jesus prays for himself, for his disciples, and for all who would later come to believe in him. While his disciples were sleeping, not praying, Jesus was praying for them. And he continues to pray even now. So those nights when we fall asleep and we don't pray, guess what? He's praying for us. What does he pray for? Well, listen to these words taken from John 17. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. He prays that we may be preserved from this world and that we may grow in holiness. In the darkest moments of his life, he still thought of those he came to save first. What amazing love. He was arrested, betrayed, abandoned by his friends, so that we could experience the light of the upcoming resurrection. He went through utter darkness so that we could be spared of the darkness of the cross. We'll go through seasons of darkness. We may even face betrayals. We may be abandoned by those we love, but in our lowest of low moments, Jesus meets us there. The one who went through and conquered the darkest night will lead us to the light of the brightest day. I hope that fills you with hope, and it certainly does for me. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure That He should give His only Son To make a wretch His treasure 
How great the pain of searing loss The Father turns His face away As wounds which mar the chosen one Bring many sons to glory Salem, their version of Stuart Townend's How Deep the Father's Love for Us, here in this haven today, darkness to light. If you've been listening this week, you know we're thinking about the darkest week in Christ's life that leads us to the brightest day of all, Resurrection Sunday. And in light of the Passion Week, as some call it, I've so enjoyed talking with Marty Mikowski who's written this helpful book called Darkest Night, Brightest Day, a family devotional for Easter. Start a new Easter season tradition with your family by reading this illustrated upside-down book. And let me say that the devotions in this book will encourage anyone. I've been blessed by the ones I've read so far, and I think you and any children in your life will be as well. And then let me suggest this would be a great addition to an Easter basket this year. Give the kids in your life something that has eternal value. We have the books in our warehouse. We can get them out right away with a note from you. And that's what Chris in Pennsylvania did as he ordered a copy for his grandchildren with a love note from Grammy and Grampy. I like that. Darkest Night, 
Brightest Day. It's a book I'm sure will become a treasured tradition for any family that uses this and will want to use it every Easter as a reminder of how God turned the darkest night into the brightest day. So for your gift to the ministry, we'll get you the darkest night, brightest day, Easter devotional. Go to our website, take a look at the sample pages from the book, and then make your gift at haventoday.org, haventoday.org. Or call us right now at 800-65-HAVEN. And just as we have to go, let me remind you that the last two weeks we were talking about grace, receiving God's grace, giving God's grace through Jesus Christ. Why not both? We still have the new hardback, Amazing Grace, The Life of John Newton, and the surprising story behind his song. Read a sample chapter on our website. You can get it there. Or call us for copies to receive and to give. I'm Charles Morris. Thanks so much for joining me. Won't you come back again tomorrow when again together we'll share the great story. It's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with Jesus, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. There was an old theologian by the name of Marcion. He taught that the God of the Old Testament was a severe and brutal God, that the Lord of the New Testament was a God of love, light, and salvation. He thought the law given in the Old Testament was harsh, burdensome. In fact, many people still believe this today. They won't say it quite like that, of course, but they think the Lord of the Old Testament is mean. But even when he gave the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verse 1, God said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Obedience is grounded in salvation. Remember that, yesterday and forever, the Lord remains the same. Spend more time with Jesus. Visit GetAnchor.com.